Why are police photographing our license plates? What are we doing for veterans returning home damaged physically and mentally, suffering from depression, homelessness, and suicide? Why did the Supreme Court deposit corporate money into our electoral process? Should we redefine middle class as working poor? Or is it just another Wall Street merger? What's really behind new voter picture ID laws in certain states? Why aren't NBC, ABC, CBS, and Fox asking these questions? Welcome to the Reasonable Voice radio show. I'm your host, Marcello Rolando, the Reasonable Voice. The mission of the Reasonable Voice is to connect the dots between politics and finance, the need for better and more affordable education, our humanity, world peace, and, of course, the arts, which we then gladly provide our listeners, the voting public, as informative food for thought to provoke their self-determination and appetite for equal economic opportunity and justice for all without truth decay. The Reasonable Voices are advocates prioritizing education, preserving our history, leading by example for a peaceful and prosperous world by evoking and embracing both creative artists and political unity as solutions to our challenges. Good afternoon. This is the Reasonable Voices News Talk Radio Program, and I'm your host, Marcello Rolando, the Reasonable Voice. We have two powerful reasonable voices as guests today. Uh, Monica Hutchinson is the chair of the Health Committee's Communication Subcommittee, Virginia chapter of the NAACP, and a returning reasonable voice, Eileen Davis, a professional registered nurse, adjunct professor, community advocate, and care provider in a clinic for the uninsured in Central Virginia. Eileen Davis remains dedicated to ratification of the Equal Rights Amendment. And thanks to her efforts among many, on January 15, 2020, history was made when Virginia became the 38th state to ratify the Equal Rights Amendment. Registered nurse Eileen Davis is now an active member on the Health Committee on the Virginia State Conference of the NAACP. Our second guest is a new guest and very excited about that, Monica Hutchinson is the chair of the Health Committee's Communication Subcommittee, Virginia chapter of the NAACP. And Monica Hutchinson is currently a community organizer with the Campaign for Family-Friendly Economy Virginia. Monica spent the last two years with the new Virginia majority as a member of the political organizing team, and part of those two years, she was the lead political organizer for the Richmond, Virginia area. A transplant, I'm happy to say, from Queens, as I am, although I lived most of my years in New York and Manhattan, I did live in Forest Hills for a while, a transplant from Queens to New York. Monica is passionate about her communities in Virginia and inspires many with her vision of a commonwealth where everyone works together towards racial, social, and political justice. Monica Hutchinson is a Virginia state and national delegate for Vice President Biden. Welcome, Monica Hutchinson, to the Reasonable Voices program. How are you today? I am uh, coping is probably the best word. Good for you. And you, Eileen, how are you? Pushing hard, Marcella. Pushing hard. You know, I love you two ladies already. You're so honest. This is is not a time to say I'm fine because, you know, it's not fine. But we're working on it. That's the thing. And so with that in mind, in addition to the devastating blow to American health, health care, and medical professionals, I believe the pandemic of COVID-19 has revealed truths a lack of universal preparedness, and systemic inequities in American culture and society. So I'm going to actually start with Eileen because I know she's got some statistics about women, no matter what their color, especially in the medical profession as a front line. What's happening, uh, Eileen? Give us the latest on that. Well, we talked in the last segment about... um 
about women disproportionately fighting the COVID-19 pandemic. And, you know, going to uh, Monica's work with Family Friendly Virginia, Monica and myself and Dr. Stubbs are all on the State Health Committee for the NAACP, and we're right now looking hard at COVID-19 and its effect on people of color, particularly the black community. The interesting thing is, you know, this is this is a, this isn't a family-friendly. This isn't this is a disparity issue that cuts across race, and it also cuts across gender. Uh, and and with black women, it's race and gender. Mm. And the National Women's Law Center data has you know has studied this in the last couple of months. And 75% of hospital workers, 88% of psychiatric nursing and home health workers, 66% of cashiers and retail salespeople in grocery stores, and 63% of fast food and counter workers are women, and most of them are black women or brown women. Mm -hmm. So, you know, we need to really understand that the disparity is on that level as well. And not only are they not being paid well not not only are these low-paying jobs and i include nurses because nurses have never to my opinion been paid commensurate with their responsibility and their education and their licensing requirements we've always you know we've always put nurses on a pedestal but we've never really paid them commensurate to what we all agree their worth is all of these jobs are not only lower paying but the jobs in the food service and the home care industries particularly unlikely to have employee or union-based health insurance. Mm -hmm. So these women are on the front lines. They're providing basic care. Their, their own health is at risk, and but they lack basic health insurance protection, and they also may be low on the totem pole other than nurses for the critically limited supplies of PPEs. Gotcha. So there's a whole buffet of, of issues here that we have to unpack. And you know, and I appreciate that, Eileen, and that's why I, I mentioned in the introduction, uh, at least toward the end there, that the whole emphasis on what's essential and what's not. COVID-19 has said, look at yourself in the mirror. You have been shortchanging so many people, certainly African-Americans, Hispanic Americans, women always, since before the country was a country. Now we're calling for defunding the police departments. I wonder, Monica, in such an atmosphere, given your very honest answer during the introduction, when it comes to education, including the condition of school buildings, the age of textbooks and conditions of those books, libraries in minority uh, communities. Mm -hmm. tell, tell us, educate us, please. Well, for one, in order to even begin talking about education, we need to also make sure that people understand that the system is working exactly how it was created and intended mm. to work, mm -hmm. which is to, you know, to create an environment where our black children are... You know, our black children attend schools that have been underfunded. Our black children attend schools that are, you know, we get the teachers with the least experience. We get the environments with the least amount of trauma-informed care, which we also know that we need to have people in our schools that are there uh, that can help our children process the trauma. I mean, let's be honest, being black in America is a very traumatic experience. Mm -hmm. So... You know, I, I also agree that education is key. Education is extremely important. But, you know, even going back to the Hampton Plan of 1868, you know, created three years after Lincoln freed the slaves. I yes. mean, it was, it was very intentional. And one of the, the points of the, of the Hampton Plan was to make sure that we didn't have access to an education, that we didn't feel like we belonged in the political system, that the political system was a white man system where we didn't belong in. And, you know, to know that these seeds of doubt have been planted and they have been watered and nurtured throughout all of these these years, you know, it, it is frustrating. It's enough to cause real pain and anger and hurt. But we cannot allow that to stop us, right? right? So we have to continue pushing for education reform. You know, we have to make sure that our schools are becoming properly funded, which is why the census is so important. That's why we are pushing hard for the census, for people to fill the census out, to make sure that every person, every child is counted, because those are dollars yes. that we're not getting, right? Yes. So we are pushing to ensure that we are getting counselors in the schools. We are pushing to ensure that our textbooks are up to date, that our children have access to current information. You know, I live in, uh, in Rico County, and, and my 
13-year-old who is a rising eighth grader, his textbook, you know, since they've been home, the textbook that he was using, the information that he was using, it still had Terry McAuliffe listed as our governor. Mm-hmm. Now, I'm sitting here like, uh, you know, Governor Ralph Northam is on his third year, mm-hmm. and you still have Terry McAuliffe listed as the governor in their textbook. Like, I have an issue with that because you're teaching our children old information, wrong information. Um, our history has been completely whitewashed in the schools. Mm-hmm. So not only are you not even providing the tools necessary for our children to be successful, but you're also purposely giving them wrong information so that we we stay behind technology wise. Just all of it, you know, it's 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 truly it is truly a pandemic of its own. You know, and it's true, and I'm glad to hear you say all of that and thank you for mentioning the census because so many you know, there's so much going on that people have got to it's like what happens when everything's important. Well, here we are, mm-hmm. and the census is as important as everything else. But textbooks, that's always been a pet peeve of mine because I know there certainly is a disparity there that most of us don't even think about because we don't have bad old textbooks torn up and written in. Okay, mm-hmm. how, Monica, the murder of George Floyd, We we're seeing the impact on the streets in terms of demonstrations and protests and whatever, but how does that impact your personal fight for criminal justice reform? So I will tell you, um, I am a, I'm a black woman married to a black man and I'm raising three black teenage sons. So the murder of George Floyd, and it's not just George Floyd, right? It is also Breonna Taylor. Mm. There is also Ahmaud Arbery. There's also Atatiana Jefferson. I mean, like, there's so many people. Unfortunately, so many names that we can say, Sandra Bland, that have been murdered at the hands of white supremacy, Mm -hmm. right? No matter what that white supremacy is wearing a badge or not, they've been murdered by white supremacy. And so I I do feel a little bit hopeful that this time will be different because, one, I see so many people who are out here fighting alongside of us, demanding justice with us. Yes. You know, now we live in a time where people cannot hide. You know, we can pull out our cell phones and we can record. You know, we can have this, we can have this information right here. We don't just have to solely rely on the police body cams who, you know, didn't even turn them on, Mm. right, for Breonna Taylor and so many others. So... We have this information now, and and I, you know, now the racial disparities that we've known have existed. It's been the cut, the thinly veiled cover has been torn back, right? So now all of America sees it. But I just want to make sure that, you know, for for George Floyd, that was, ooh, that was uh, as like I said, as a mother of three teenage sons, that was hard. That was hard. Yeah. And to see him die with someone's knee in his neck. You know that I looked at my husband and I'm like, this is this is a literal representation of what we have known, right? Like, you know, it, white supremacy has their knee on our necks, and we're just saying like, let us up, let us breathe. And so to see that happened um, was hard. To hear him cry for his mother was mm. devastating. As a mother, but I also want to make sure people understand that even in this fight, right? Just even in this fight, the inequality in gender the you know is 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 showing the patriarchy is showing it it's i don't want anyone to lose their life but let's not forget the women who have lost their lives as yes, well yes. so you know we we should never say george floyd without saying brianna taylor's name yes in there as well i just posted an article today where a lot of the names were mentioned in addition to george floyd i hope you and our audience will visit the reasonable voices Uh website. I would like to also say to me, one of the strongest lessons I feel in what has happened to George Floyd is that, because you touched on this too, it wasn't just that that three other officers stood there and watched this and did nothing. It was that there were a lot of people around with cell phones taking a video and Uh still it happened. And my point is that the man, the specifically the man with his knee on George Floyd's back, didn't care that he was mm-hmm. videoed. 
He didn't think it would make any difference. He could do exactly what he wanted to George Floyd, and anybody could record it that they wanted. I think that's what all of us need to take to heart. Uh, let, let me ask, let me ask uh, Eileen a question. Eileen, yes, uh, what's your level of concern regarding COVID-19 cases increasing because of the demonstrations over the next two weeks? Are we going to see, what do they say, a second spike in the first wave? Um, we don't know. Uh, what I saw were people wearing masks and we were outside. Um, mm-hmm. I, we don't know. We, we know that sunlight is the best disinfectant and heat, and God knows it's been hot. Heat and sunlight and masks are pretty powerful. There were people standing pretty close together. If you, you know, people that took precautions as much as they could and tried to socially distance, wore a mask, were very careful about hand washing. I, yes, of course, there's an increased risk because we're not in our houses. We're not socially distancing. But the, the, the attempts to stay socially distanced, wear a mask, and being outside where the air is moving but I did see people without masks. I did see people hugging and touching each other. You know, I, I'm, I'm hoping we don't see a, a spike. Epidemiologically, there probably will be some cases that will come out of these these protests. But there again, we're in we're in a time in our history where we, there are there's 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 there are no choices are bad and terrible. Yes. I mean, you know, we it just we're at an inflection point where. Staying home is 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 bad, and showing up may be bad. We we just we just I think people are just moving, are doing what they what they feel they have to do, and trying to take the appropriate precautions to. They're not forgetting that COVID nineteen is still a thing. I just think they're trying to balance two very important issues right now, and that's so. I guess we'll just have to find out. I understand what motivated people to go out, and I saw mostly masks and mostly people trying to go yet still maintain the safety perimeter of social distancing and no touching and no hugging and wearing masks. You know, so hopefully uh, that will be enough outside in the heat. I hope so too. But I want to ask, and hopefully I can do this without getting emotional. But I want to ask Monica. One of the quotes I heard in watching the demonstrations member of the press asked a young black woman wasn't she concerned about uh, COVID-19 here in the you know in the crowds of people and so forth and her response was and I'd like you to speak to this Monica her response Uh was well the police kill us too she said so yes we know COVID-19 could kill us but we know the police do kill us what what are your thoughts Uh on that response it's a it's a very true statement. You know, it's it, during COVID-19, the term safe at home was used a whole lot. Now we're using the term safer at home. And, you know, the only thing I could think of was, you know, being black in America, we are literally safe nowhere because they kill us in our home. Mm. Police bust our doors. They kill us in our home. So, I mean, she's absolutely right that, the risk of us being killed for doing nothing, for them coming to the wrong door, you know, busting in the wrong house, uh, you know, that threat is very real, as well as COVID. So, you know, if we stay home, we're still at risk of being killed. Uh, If we go in the streets to protest, you know, we're at risk of catching COVID. But also let's, you know, let's also be very honest too, that here in America, We've been at a higher risk of catching COVID for so many different reasons. Yes. So, you know, for us to be out there protesting, I feel like people saying that, you know, saying, well, you know, COVID is there and COVID this. And I'm like, this is another way for you to, whether people realize it or not, you're attempting to silence us, you know, because you don't want to hear it. You know, now all of a sudden people care about COVID. Many of us have cared. But I'm seeing people who, who never spoke on it before, and now that we're protesting, you know, you have now become COVID scholars, it seems. Yes. So, you know, it's 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 a damned if we do, damned if we don't situation. But at the end of the day, like I said, being the mother of three teenage sons, uh, I feel is extremely important for me to be out there marching in solidarity to protect and, and make sure people understand that not my son. 
Okay, we're going to take a break. We are blessed indeed with the two women who are on our show today, Eileen Davis, professional registered nurse, a repeat guest, and our new guest, Monica Hutchinson, who is the chair of the Health Committee's Communications Subcommittee, Virginia chapter of the NAACP. Stay with us, please. There's a lot more, a lot more to come that we all need to hear. Stay with us. We'll be right back. And now enjoy Watchfire Music featuring vocal artist Jenny Burton singing Tear Down the House from Is Anybody Listening? Welcome back to the Reasonable Voices News Talk Radio Program. I'm your host, Marcello Rolando. My guest today, returning Eileen Davis, professional RN, and our new guest, we're happy to have Monica Hutchinson, who is the chair of the Health Committee's Communications Subcommittee of the Virginia Chapter of the NAACP. You've mentioned a number of times, Monica, and not that I was ignoring it by any means, but I wanted to mm-hmm. save it for the, this second segment because we hear the story about how parents have to tell their black children, sons especially, the talk they have to give them. And now we have on our show a mother of three sons who has witnessed more than her fair share, at least public via media coverage, of what happens to minorities all too often on the streets. And as you pointed out, even their homes. I can't remember the man's name, but the the policewoman went into the wrong hotel room and it was his home, his apartment, and shot him. Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. there are many stories, and as you pointed out, and and of course with uh, Eileen's talking to us about the females on the front line, but as you pointed out, there are many women who have uh, suffered, African-American women, from this same kind of police violence. So, but first tell us as a mother of three sons, tell us about the talk that's necessary and how you feel about having to do it. So, you know, sadly it's, uh, being, being a a parent and having to raise a black child is there's so many things that that we do to protect our children that we don't even think of before we have to have the talk. Right. Yes. Um, to prepare our kids, you know, from the time they're young, you know, we even make jokes about it as we're going to store. Right. It's, you know, don't don't look at nothing. Don't touch nothing. Don't pick up nothing. You know, you know, I'm not buying anything. But it's, it's also more serious things that we have to tell our children not to do, which is, you know, when you go in a store, don't don't have your hands in your pocket. Right. Don't don't fidget, you know, with my boys. Even at one time, it's when we get inside, I want you to unzip your coat. So that way people can see that you're not a threat. Goodness. You know, make sure, you know, my boys are taller than, than, than most. Um, so, you know, it's make sure you're not walking in someone's direct path because I don't want them to ever say that you're a threat to them or you make, or you're intimidating them or you're threatening to them. Uh, you know, stay with me. And so, I mean, it's, it's little, it's things that we do 
as parents to protect our children. And then when they get older and we have to have the conversation of what to do when you're pulled over by a police officer. It is something that is extremely stressful. It's hard. No parent should have to, you know, have that conversation. And just looking back now, uh, just even realizing that us having the conversation with our children was about, it's about us trying to protect them by having them monitor their movements and control their movements. When in fact, it's not our children or it's not us that are doing anything wrong. You know, instead of us trying to monitor our movements, we need to be reforming the police department, the police officers. Mm -hmm. And so that needs to be the conversation, right? It needs to be, you know, you're not doing anything wrong. So what we're going to do is, you know, but I, I still need you to live. I need you to live. Yes. And when you, you know, I need you to live through this encounter and we're going to continue pushing and fighting for criminal justice reform, for reform of police procedures from the, you know, from the top all the way down. So that way we don't have to have the, the talk with our black children like that anymore. But it is extremely emotionally, it's emotionally, mentally draining, uh, but also very necessary to make sure that our black children make it home alive. And how how does the child respond? I mean, the first time you say, I need to sit down and talk to you, are they uh -huh. even expecting this? And when when they get it, what on earth does that do to them right in front of your eyes? Mm -hmm. So in our household, we've always had a very open and honest relationship with our children. From the time that they were, they were born and they were young, we made a promise that we would never lie to them, that we would be honest, to not expect any more of them that we're not willing to give ourselves. So we have these conversations with our children. Uh, they understand what white supremacy looks like. They understand where policing started and, and just even the, the very racist beginning of that. So we are very honest with them. But our family is also unique because uh, my oldest son was named for my uncle who was killed in the line of duty. So we, you know, we have those conversations all the time. My my uncle, my mother's brother, as an officer, you know, he would visit his friends who were in jail. And I remember asking him, you know, Uncle Sean, why would you go visit them in jail? And his answer to me was, don't you think they need me now more than ever? Mm. And, you know, so those are the officers that I grew up with. Those are the officers that made, that made an impact you know, in my life. So much children understand that as well. So when we do have these conversations with them, it's nothing new. And I think where we as a society go wrong is we try to protect our children from the ugly truth that is out there. But we can't protect them from the ugly truth because it will catch up with them. Mm. So for us, the best thing that we felt to do was to be honest from the very beginning. So my 17-year-old having a conversation with him about driving or, you know, if you're pulled over, even if you're in a car with your friends or your uncle or your aunt, so even with even with us, right, with, with, with your parents of how to behave, it wasn't anything new to them. It was something that unfortunately they see as a necessary thing because we want them to live and survive and uh, live to fight another day, which we also show them by leading by example by, you know, I take my children to the General Assembly with me here in Virginia. I make sure that they have conversations with their elected officials, their local, their state, and the federal level elected officials to make sure they understand it's not just about monitoring our movement and monitoring our behavior, but once again, we've got to change the system. Gotcha. Eileen, Yes, sir. I, in our last show in which you were a guest as well, I asked the other guest, Dr. Pamela Hamilton Stubbs. I asked her, now I'm going to ask you, Eileen, with the call to defund police budgets, where would you suggest, where would you like to see, if we're going to take money from the police department's budget? I personally don't mind mentioning, I would, I would love it if the, the budget that specifically militarizes the police be cut uh -huh. and that that specifically that piece of the pie 
go someplace else, but it has to go someplace else that makes a difference so that militarized police aren't needed, in my opinion. But I'm asking you, you've seen a lot more of emergency rooms than I have. What are your thoughts on that? Well, I think what we're talking about is restructuring. And mm -hmm. um, I think we need to have, um, we need to have more mental health uh, training. I think we should look at, um, you know, people with uh, degrees in psychology being recruited to be police officers. Yes. Um, people with, you know, sociology backgrounds being recruited. And if they don't come within with that skill set, that should be part of the training. They should understand de-escalation. So I, I think if we're going to restructure police departments, we need to include training of the kinds of techniques. You know, right now in the city of Richmond, if you have time, you call up one of the social services departments and get a social worker to come over. I, I think the social workers should be already in the structure of the police department because, you know, so many of the encounters that go sideways, many of them do involve people in crisis, in mental crisis. Yes. And so I, so I think restructuring should include de-escalation training and also the realignment of community policing. You know, the, mm -hmm. that, that I think we need community policing. We also need an emphasis on making sure that police departments reflect the communities they serve. I know I, I remember many years ago when the woman was a, a, a sexual assault or a domestic violence victim, she was interviewed by... Uh, a, overwhelmingly would be a male officer mm. um you know if a woman is talking about a sexual assault she needs to be talking to a female officer yes i mean that's 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 the least we can do so i think we need to there's a couple of there's a lot of things that we can do i think defunding is the wrong word i think we just need to restructure the prioritizing of how police departments are put together and what are the different areas of community services they provide that's, that's that's my opinion. Of course, I'm not an expert, but you asked. But so yes, <laughs> and I'm and I'm glad to hear that because we are still policing the way we policed in a century ago when people with mil mental illnesses or psychological problems were just thrown in an institution, and we've replaced that with okay, let's just taser them. Police need to be more than police, and I know I I know a lot of police, mm -hmm. but it's not enough anymore. And well, again, like Monica, I have to qualify that I have, uh, I have my husband's retired law enforcement. I have family members that are active law enforcement. My, my godson is a, is a policeman. I mean, so this isn't about hating cops. And, I, and I've often said, and, I, and Monica, I'm sure, would say her uncle has said the same thing. Good cops want to get rid of bad cops. Oh, yes. Oh, yes, absolutely. So, absolutely. And, 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 it's, and it's training, and it's, and, and, you know, so I think we just, it's time, we just have to have the conversation of what do we want? How do we live up to the idea of serve and protect? Just like we, we look to our government with the justice for all. How do we make justice for all happen, and how do we make serve and protect happen? Yes. Answer those questions, and we can fix these problems. Well, the, th the thing I think where we start is, is it's, what does a police person need to be now that they didn't need to be years ago? The reality is now we need a different person on the streets protecting the public. Okay. I know you want to jump in, Monica. Okay. I was going to say that um, I think people just need to realize that defunding the police does not mean disbanding the police. Yes. Yeah. I just really wanted to point that out. That, uh, yeah. that Exactly. And I think what we're talking about is restructuring. I know that's what the three of us are talking about. I don't know that everyone right. is, and that's why I'm glad we're having this conversation, because right. it is about right. restructuring. Well, people it, in communications understand that words yeah. matter. If you're not clear and succinct in what exactly you're saying, people will use things that are confusing and use them against you. Exactly. So, right. yeah. Okay. Well, Monica, I want to ask yeah. you this, because I, I know you have been incredibly politically involved in progressive leadership in Virginia, both in education and schools, black campaign school. But what do you think about November elections? Seeing it through the lens of COVID-19 and how it affects different segments of the society. And of course, the police brutality, uh, the reaction to that that is bigger than ever before. It is global, like the Women's March, for heaven's sake. It is amazing, and I'm so impressed. And the return to sites 
that have been littered the night before and cleaning up after. I mean, it's it's just different in every way, I believe. But mm-hmm. what what happens on 3 November 2020? So, you know, I, I do think that all of this energy we're seeing, you know, I have faith that we will also see it at the ballot box come November. And, you know, I try not to make things partisan, but I'll be very honest. It is not us making things partisan. That's just how it is, nature of the beast. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, sadly, here in Henrico County, yesterday, uh, with several thousand people marching in eastern Henrico, there was only one party that was represented yesterday. Oh, and there's only one party that showed up yesterday uh, from our elected officials. And so, you know, it, it's very hard not to make things partisan when that's all we're seeing who's showing up, right? That's, you know, it, showing up to listen, to to ask, what do you need me to do, right? And then also ask, I need you to hold me accountable, so let's go make the changes together. Yes. So this November, you know, I... Like you mentioned earlier, I am proud to be a state and national delegate for Vice President Biden. I don't need my politicians to be perfect, but I do need them to be real and honest and transparent with me. You know, I don't need them to have all the answers, but I do need them to be willing to bring other people to the table with them and listen to those ideas and those experiences. And so, you know, I, I am proud to say that that is what I... I strongly know is happening with the Biden campaign. So many people brought to the table. I have seen so many people who are in higher level positions who are, you know, we have both black male and black female campaign staffers and it's beautiful to see. The Lift Every Voice plan is amazing. And, and, and I'm, you know, we had a hand in crafting that and we're, you know, it's not done. It, it, it's you know, politics is a fluid thing. It, mm. it's, it's ever changing, and it should be. Come November, I, I strongly think that we will make a very strong stance at the ballot box. I think America will begin seeing us take our country back because, sadly, white supremacy has felt emboldened by this administration. Whether it's the lack of experience, the lack of knowledge, or just even caring, the lack of humanity mm. uh, that is in charge, and so we're seeing that. And, and so I, I think. You know, I strongly feel that we will reverse course and begin seeing some real changes because I know I, for one, am not going to stop holding them accountable. I'm not going to stop showing up. And like every movement, our younger generation, I am so proud of them. Uh, Generation Z, I am so proud of these kids. They have really, they have really just stepped up. And I would say these are the best of all of us you know and so I look at it as my job to fight these battles and clear the pathway for them to come forward and create a much brighter future because like I said they're just the best of us and it's beautiful to see all of this happen okay well ladies we one more thing okay. I want to tell I know your audience is um it's pretty mixed, but skews, uh, skews white. I uh, get a lot of white people saying to me, how can I help beyond the marches? Uh-huh. You can get involved. For one thing, join the NAACP. Yes. Join the NAACP. Every corner of Virginia has a chapter. Find one and join. Yes. NAACP.org. NAACP.org. Our campaigns are on there. This campaign right now we're in is hashtag we are done dying. Um, there are many ways to be involved. And like Eileen said, you're, you know, we have chapters all over Virginia. You can find your chapter. You can join your chapter. If you are, uh, even if you have teenage kids, they can join a chapter. We've got youth and college chapters. We have adult chapters. There's ways to get involved. And I hope that everyone does. You know, not just your black listeners, but your white listeners. Because until we are all free, until we are all equal, then none of us are. And you know, and I'm going to tell you, I'm so glad you brought that up, Eileen, and you gave us a website, Monica, and we're going to repeat it. But it reminds me of Andrea Miller, who's a major advocate. It was 2017, and she was coming to Charlottesville. And of course, Eileen was there as well. I mean, that's a whole other show. But at any rate, 
we were in a conversation and I heard Andrea Miller say to someone who was asking about what to do of someone else who didn't have a good answer. And Andrea, (laughs) surprise, surprise, stepped right up and said to the person, the NAACP is not just for black people. So tell us again, please, Monica, places on the web where we can find out about the organizations and events in which you are working. Absolutely. So like I said, NAACP.org, when you go to our website, there are links to every, um, now that's our national website, but there are links on there that will show you the different committees that we have. There is, there's a way for you to join membership. And when you go to join, you look up your chapter, your locality, it gives you all of that information, the contact information to get in contact with your actual local chapter. But we have, you know, there's national campaigns you can join. Like I said, right now we are done dying. We have partnerships with Complete Counts. You know, the census is a big focus of the NAACP, uh, our whole organization. Voting, of course, is, is important every single year. That's how we have our voice heard is at the ballot box you know, on election day. So NAACP.org, it'll also give you um, links to videos. We, we have live streams. Our president, Derek Johnson, is amazing. He is out here. He is He's putting in the work. He's a true inspiration, a great leader. Our social media is up there. There are so many different things on our website. So I I would ask everyone to just go visit NAACP.org and join us in this fight. And just, you know, I just want to add that when the NAACP was founded, it wasn't just founded by black people. It was founded by everybody. Yes, that's true. Okay. One more thing, if you would, Monica. What about voting by mail? Absolutely. So here in Virginia, well, beginning July 1st, we will have a whole bunch of new voting laws that will take place that will make it easier for people to be able to vote by mail, Um, not just because of COVID, but we also know that there is a huge disparity gap because of voting. You know, voter suppression happens way before we actually took to our voting precincts on election. Mm -hmm. So voting by mail is just one way to counter voter suppression. People are afraid. People are rightfully afraid. And so I need everybody to go to Virginia's website, request a ballot be sent to you. Please know that there will be organizations. The NAACP is one of them. You can go to our website and look look this information up. There will be candidates that will be talking to you. There will be local nonprofits, civic organizations that we are going to focus on absentee ballots like never before. And I also need people to make sure that they are volunteering on election day because if we're telling people to request their ballot because they don't feel safe to come to the ballot box on election day, then I need for people to step up and realize that we must protect the vulnerable communities and be honest with ourselves and say and, and recognize that the vulnerable communities are the ones who most likely have been working the polls in previous years. So, you know, I will be 40 in in August, and I will be there working the polls that day, and I am asking everybody, you know, COVID is a threat to us all, but I'm asking everybody who is not in the highest risk category to please get out there, volunteer, sign up, work the polls, so that way absentee ballots can truly have the impact we need, and that's to protect everyone. Boy, am I glad I asked that last question. Excellent. (laughs) Absolutely, my goodness. I mean, I knew the answer would be thorough, but wow. Thank you. That's all I can say, Monica. Thank you. Thank you, Eileen Davis, our resident by now professional registered nurse who's often on the show, and we always love having her, and who was there in Charlottesville, by the way, as the medical, what do we want to say, caretaker for everyone in Charlottesville on that terrible weekend of August 2017, and also our new guest and new friend, and we hope to have back many, many times, who's reaching out to our children, our teenagers, high school, college level, and preparing them for the path that she is making, Monica Hutchinson, the chair of the Health Committee's Communications Subcommittee of the Virginia Chapter of the NAACP, Get to the NAACP.org website and find out what you can do, too. Thank you so much, ladies, for being on the show. We wish you both all the best. 
throughout the summer and throughout the fall and into what I hope is going to be a much happier and healthier new year. Thank you. Thank you, Marcello, for having us today. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Yes. Bye now. Welcome to the Andy Fell Minute. In history class, most of us learned that the Civil War ended the institution of slavery in America. The 13th Amendment declared that neither slavery nor involuntary servitude should be legal in the land, except as a punishment for crime. It is this conspicuous loophole that award-winning director Ava DuVernay explores in her blistering documentary, 13th. Through a series of interviews with academics, businessmen, and politicians from both sides of the aisle, along with horrific historical photographs and modern video footage, 13th makes the case that slavery never disappeared in America. It only changed form. First with the Jim Crow laws of the South, then in the 80s as the war on drugs, and now with the disproportionate mass incarceration of black Americans. The subject matter is difficult, but DuVernay has edited the film so as to make it impossible to turn away. There are no moments of silence, no places to catch your breath. Hip-hop lyrics punctuate the film's segments, relentless in their plea for justice. If ever a film deserved to become required viewing across America, it would be 13th. Watch it tonight. 13th. Not in theaters. Discovery through rental. Hello, I'm Marcello Rolando, the Reasonable Voice, thanking you for joining us and becoming one of the reasonable voices heard round the world. On 25 May 2020, a 46-year-old African-American citizen died in Minneapolis, Minnesota, after a 44-year-old white police officer, Derek Chauvin, in full view of three other officers and bystanders with cells in video mode, knelt on his neck for almost nine minutes, while he was handcuffed face down in the street. The name of the perk was George Floyd. Like Trayvon Martin, Eric Garner, Tamia Rice, Sandra Bland, Manuel Ellis, Breonna Taylor, and Ahmaud Aubrey, George Floyd's guilt was never in question, never considered up for discussion, indeed making no difference, never given a thought. He was just another racial expletive. Maybe it was our revolutionary bicentennial that really ran aground in Nantucket Island, and possibly Reagan's welfare queen was the reef into which trickle-down collided in Prince William Sound. Or did the last remnants of American exceptionalism die with our forgotten eleven in a Gulf of Mexico explosion? For more than 244 years have we, the majority, been blind to the unprospected black gold in America? Didn't we know one day the killing of a black person by an officer of the law would finally move America's moral needle from tip of the iceberg to final straw? So then you ask, why isn't the murder of George Floyd less forgettable, or any more important a call to action than any other drug deal gone bad, neighborhood gang war drive-by, or Jim Crow residue? First, America in Crisis like a historic presidential entourage neighborhood stroll to blaspheme both church and state, is a teaser meant to shape our POV, while the real black gold is redefined by paler minds, unable to see the colorful diverse forest for the out-of-control carte blanche trees. America's crisis is actually a long-overdue transition, more unsettling for conservative Republican money financing corporate-owned media because of its demonstrative transparency in an election year, when all we have to lose is a president who's become as bored with our lack of pandemic preparedness as he is with his DPB. Above and beyond the looting violence, property damage, brick-throwing at officers who, every day and night, do what most of us only watch on TV, there is a post-D.W. Griffith's Birth of a Nation ask, rolling through the ashes of Dirty Harry's empty chair, inflaming driving Miss Daisy into seeking the lessons of the help emerging, enabling us to knock at the door of mature thinking, where true patriotism lives by the example of Bishop Marianne Agribuddy and D.C. Mayor's Muriel Bowser. 
This global freedom of expression of mostly marching, dancing, singing, and kneeling in peaceful assembly clearly demonstrates a timely desire for justice and equality balanced atop the infrastructure of the 2017 Women's March and 2018 students still insisting, never again. This real-time televised murder of a human being has ignited a complacent world into a collective Moses on yellow-lettered pavement, crying out from the wilderness surrounding closed White House mines, shrouded in hate, bigotry, and a self-imagined American pharaoh. Let my people go. Nonetheless, like Caesars, Emperors, Dulles, and Koch brothers, before our 45th, the journey of a thousand miles can easily begin with one photo up too far, and a murderous pill too impossibly bitter to swallow. Indeed, there was an America before Pearl Harbor and D-Day, and, except for racism, a vastly different America after 22 November 1963. And what we accepted as normal before 9-11 morphed us into forever oil war accomplices. Realizing there are still conservative Republicans who support Donald Trump despite his lack of response to COVID-19, disregard for our Constitution, and desire to dominate American civilians in the battle space with active duty military might, any pretense that the America of Donald Trump, Mitch McConnell, Bill Barr, Mike Pence is a land of the free is simply fake news. And another thing, America has always been much more than a red, white, and blue stars and stripes symbol. It is the rainbow of nations, a multicultural people from immigration and slavery to a quarterback's awakening, and NFL social justice for all patriotic enough to take a knee. Despite the stark public brutality of George Floyd's death, America's new reality is not a crisis, but a conscientious moment of moral choices. While blind to the enterprise, faith, and contributions of our human black gold, and failing to live the words we've writ large, we hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their Creator with certain inalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Exceptional greatness will elude us. Now facing the ugly American Trump within us that we projected onto the world, let's vote a joyful noise that shatters the silence of indifference to hate, bigotry, and justice for all. Thank you, and join us. Become one of the reasonable voices heard round the world. Thank you for continuing to listen to, support, and share the Reasonable Voice Blog Talk Radio with family and friends, especially online. We enjoy hearing from you, and in response, yes, we are now accepting new company and business advertisers and welcoming organizations seeking to be one of our sponsors. So please do continue to email us at thereasonablevoice at gmail.com. However, if you prefer to simply make a donation, your donations are greatly appreciated and can be made through PayPal by clicking on the donate button found at the top of the homepage of the Reasonable Voice. Thank you for joining us today to make every day as reasonable as possible. We hope you will download and share our downloadable podcasts. I'm Marcello Rolando, the Reasonable Voice, hoping you will become one of the reasonable voices heard round the world.